Well, we're going to start in Genesis 4, and we're going to read, oh, I believe to verse, where did I leave off? Let me go back here and find out where I left off. I think I left off at verse 10, okay? So let's read. We're going to start in Genesis 4, verse 1. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was the keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord respect, had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and he, his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou dost well, shalt, not, uh, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall his desire be, and thou, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth out unto me from the ground. Let us pray. Father God, we know that your word, every bit of it, God, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, Lord. That the man or woman of God might be fur fully furnished, fully equipped for every good work. And tonight, Lord, we ask that you would help teach us, that you would lead us and guide us, that we would have ears to see, eyes to, or ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that could receive. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, when y'all get some ears that can see, you just let me know, okay? <laughs> Mike might be there already. Mike might have ears to see and eyes to hear. <laughs> that is not the reaction I was expecting from him right there. <laughs> we got to get you woke up, Mike, okay? Can I wake you up? I got a bunch of definitions for you. Maybe this will wake you up, okay? Anybody know what the name Cain means? Cain, C-A-I-N, Cain. The word Cain or the name Cain means possession, okay? And they literally use a play on words. When you look at what Eve says, if you look back at what Eve says, it says, uh, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from God. So the play on words there is the word gotten. Possession, Cain means possession or gotten or made to be possessed by God. Amen. And they're kind of using a play on words because Cain's name means possession or begotten or given. Amen. So we see here Cain equals possession. And Cain is spelled, the Hebrew word, if you spelled it in English, you know, not directly translated, it's it, it, it's. Q-A-Y-I-N. And it's got a real funny pronunciation. It's Cayenne. Cayenne is how they pronounce it. Yeah, it's weird, okay? You can you can say it however you want. I say Cain because that's what the English word is, okay? Cain. And then Abel. Anybody know what Abel means? It's in Mike's study Bible. Abel means breath breath 
And Abel has just as an unusual spelling. It's H-E-B-E-L. And if you're going to pronounce it, it would be Habiel or Habiel. If you want to do it real Hebrew like Habiel, Habiel. Right? That's how you pronounce it. Or the approximate Kevin O'Connor, middle of America, hillbilly Hebrew. You got it? <laughs> I'm working on it, Mike. That, that should have got a laugh. Uh, Mike, Mike must be tired. I got my work cut out getting Mike awake tonight. Adam. Anybody remember what Adam means? We talked about what Adam means. Adam means man. That's simply what Adam means. Man or human or humankind or human being. It means man. Okay. And Adam is spelled, obviously, A-D-A-M-A in English, but the pronunciation is Hadam, Adam. Okay, it's real weird Hebrew, you know, middle of America, hillbilly Hebrew, but it's Hadam, A-W-D-A-M, Adam, okay? And Eve, anybody remember why Adam said Eve, what, why Eve was named Eve. Remember what Adam said? She's the mother of all living, right? So Eve, the literal definition of the name Eve is life or living, okay? And it has a weird spelling also in Hebrew. It's H, yeah, you heard me right. H-A-U-A. And it's Kwaba. And that's as close as I can get to that one, okay? That's my Hebrew, that's my hillbilly Hebrew equivalent because I'm sure I'm butchering it in real Hebrew, okay? Just letting you know. <laughs> now, when we read this story, the only reason I'm giving you all the names is because it's going to come, it's going to be a little bit applicable in a bit, okay? I wanted you to have all those. Uh, in the ESV, it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of God. In other words, God did it. Amen. And we're going to get to that in a minute. And I don't want to over, I don't want to jump over my, my first point. I don't want to jump over to my third point. But needless to say, God is the author of life. Amen. And Eve is making a, a distinct statement with that. Okay. Now, I got a little uh, note that I want to read about this whole section, okay? This chapter shows humankind plunging further into sin. With Cain murdering his brother and his descendant Lamech taking indiscriminate revenge, although they have been expelled from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are enabled by God to have two sons. With the rest uh, with them rests the hope of an offspring who will overcome the serpent. Remember that from the last chapter? When Cain callously murders his brother, uh, his righteous brother Abel, however, evil seems to triumph. Any hope that Cain's descendants would reverse the trend appears remote when Lamech boasts of killing a man simply for striking him. Against this background of brief announcements is Seth's birth to replace Abel's and offers fresh hope. Now that's for the whole chapter. That's just a little note that they had in my study Bible, but I think it pretty much does a good summary of what goes on in this chapter. And we're not going to get to Lamech today. We're not even, we're just getting to where God questions uh, Cain about where his brother was. Amen. We're going to get to verse 10 and we're going to stop. But I want to start here in verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Adam knew his wife. Amen. Now, this word knew doesn't mean like, Hey, I know you, Mike, or hey, I, amen. This word new is a Hebrew word yada or yada, okay, or yadia, to know. And it means to know a person 
carnally. Amen. That's the word that's used there is to know carnally. And it's given in the context this way because it says Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Amen. So we know that the knowing wasn't just, hey, I read a book and knew about something. Amen. It was, I knew you. Now, I'll make this point when we talk about the new covenant in Christ. And he says, there'll be many in that day that say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? And he said, I will look at them and I will say, I never knew you. And that's obviously the context that Jesus is making because we are his bride. Amen. And what does he deposit in us? The seed, the deposit, the earnest of the Holy Spirit that seals us with eternal life until the day of redemption. Come on. Let's be real. So when Jesus says, I never knew you, he's saying, me and you were never intimately involved. Amen. That is, the con that is the connotation of that verse. That's what he's meaning. That's the emphasis that he's putting on that new in the New Testament. Amen. Now, it says that Eve, uh, Adam knew his wife and she bore him a son. And Eve said, I have gotten a man from God. Now, after already going over this, Adam means man. You know, I thought, hold on. What's the word here? For man, got a man from the Lord, right? The King James says man too, doesn't it? I gotten a man of the Lord. That's what it says. King James says man too. It's not the same word, just to let you know, okay? Had to look it up. Had to make sure. But there are several Hebrew words for man. And this man, when it says man, is making a distinction as opposed to a female so it's meaning male instead of opposite would be a female amen and the word being used there is is or i is in in english but in hebrew it's ish e e s h is the pronunciation ish ish right there okay it means male as in to contrast female amen Number two, Eve obviously has something in her mind of possibly Cain being the son that was supposed to crush the head of the serpent. Amen. I've gotten a man from the Lord. What was the promise? He said, her seed and your seed. Remember all that at the end of chapter three? You... You'll bruise his heel and he'll crush your head, all that stuff. Let's go back. Just turn your Bible back to chapter 3 real quick where we can read this curse that goes on to the serpent, okay? And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly shall you go and dust shall you eat. All the days of your life, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He... He, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So when Eve is saying, I have gotten a man from the Lord in the Hebrew right there, it's an emphasis on that portion from Eve talking, meaning she is hopeful that this is the son of promise. Okay, so when you see the commentary saying it, 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 it's, it could be a son of promise. They're not making this guess lightly. What they're doing is they're taking the grammar of the Hebrew right there where it's emphatic about her, her hopefulness when she says, he has given me a male. Amen. And in the previous chapter, it was her seed was a he, right? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So in this getting a male, a, 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 a man from God, she has hope that this would be the seed of promise, okay? Number three on just verse one, okay? God is the author and the giver of life. 
in her mind. This is also emphatic in what she says. I have gotten a man from God. Amen. In other words, she realized the only reason I conceived anything was because God allows it. Amen. Just remember, Adam and Eve know that God has made everything. Amen. And now all of a sudden, Eve is given a son. Amen. And what's her reaction? Oh, look what I did. Nope. God gave me a man. Amen. Uh, number two. We're going to verse two, okay? We're start at verse two, and it says, and again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of first. Uh, Brought, an, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord regard, had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell or his countenance fell, the King James says. Now, I'm going to stop right here because we talk about Cain and Abel and their different gifts. And sometimes people go, well, Cain was, you know, Cain just brought a grain offering when, when Abel brought an offering of blood, of sacrifice of an animal. So that's why God regarded his offering. And I would say no. First of all, the sacrificial system has not been put in place as a law yet okay so any offerings that they're giving are giving freely by them amen they would, they would be what we would call even in the uh when the law is in place a free will offering okay not something that any we don't have any information to say that they had to give an offering okay so whatever offering they were giving it was freely by their own choice Okay, I do not believe these offerings themselves are the basis of God's rejection of Cain. Okay, now it is interesting to note, and you can go back in the King James and the ESV and the NIV, and you can see this that Cain just brought some grain, some fruit of the field. Okay, Abel brought his firstling and the fat portion or the choice parts of the animal. So what we see in Cain or in Abel perhaps could be a first fruits kind of offering and what Abel did or what Cain did was just picked any old grain up first fruits or not just picked up any old grain wasn't even the best grain might not even have been the the best in the field. I just picked it up and went and took it for an offering. Now, this is still not why God rejects Cain's offering. Okay? It's enough to bear in mind. It's enough to think about. It's enough to go because the Bible mentions it. Look here in verse uh, 4. And Abel, or go to verse 3, excuse me. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering. Notice he said an offering of the fruit of the ground. It doesn't specify that it's the first fruits of the ground. It doesn't specify that it's the choice fruits of the ground. Does it? Now watch what it says about Abel's offering. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. Now, this is looking forward when we get back to the law, when Moses, when God gives Moses the law, the firstborn and the fat parts are the choice parts that God requires in the sacrifice of bull and goats. He wants the firstborn and he wants the fat portions. Those were to be put on the altar. Amen. 
And if you brought a grain offering, you didn't just bring any grain. You brought the first fruits of the harvest. Amen? So by it specifying Abel's and Cain giving a very unspecific offering, I'm not saying that that even has anything to do with it, but I do think that it tells you where each man's heart was. And you can see it in the next verses. Because Cain had the wrong heart, because Cain had the wrong motives, he didn't care to bring God the first fruits or the best things out of the field. He just picked up some stuff and took it to him. Whereas Abel took the firstling and the fat portion. And he did that on his own. This is a free will offering, amen? So in the free will offering, we're seeing a shadow or a foreshadowing of each person's heart. You see what I mean? Now watch this. This still is not why God rejects Cain's offering. The fact that Cain becomes angry or wrathful and his countenance falls shows his heart is in the wrong place and his motives and sin lay in wait to take him. It shows it. The very fact that when God rejects Cain's offering and takes Abel's offering, it shows that Cain's heart is not right. And after reading that, that's when I realized I could look back now and see Cain didn't care what he brought the Lord. He just grabbed him any old stuff out of the field and took it to him. Whereas Abel was very mindful to take the firstling and the fat portions and offer it to God. Why? Because his heart was in the right place and he was doing it in faith. Whereas Cain was not. So Cain, his heart's wrong. How am I going to liken this to us in the New Testament? First, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says that we are to give as we have decided or established in our heart to give, not grudgingly, because God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Now, I want you to realize, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, the very first person mentioned in the Hall of Fame. In the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, if you didn't know that, that's the, the, the Hall of Faith where Paul goes through and lists all the Old Testament saints that walked with God by faith and not by the law, but by faith. Amen. And the very first person that he mentions is Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, and it says, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which he was commended as righteous, God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, what I'm telling you is Cain and Abel both brought an offering. Now, Cain, it says, brought an offering. Number one, Abel brought firstling and the fat portions. Amen? In other words, Cain didn't care enough. The motive behind his heart for giving was wrong. So it didn't even occur to him to get the best grain out of the field and bring it to God as an offering. It just says that he brought of the fruit of the field. doesn't say he brought the best of the fruit of the field. It just says he brought the fruit of the field. And that shows his heart was in the wrong place anyway. Amen. Abel was giving his gift in faith. How do I know he was giving it in faith? Hebrews 10 or Hebrews 11 here says he is more acceptable gift. Why? Because he did give it in faith. And God accepted it because not only did Cain give it in faith or Abel give it in faith. But he thought about it ahead of time and said, you know what, I'm going to bring the first, I'm going to bring my first uh, yearling. I'm going to bring my first fruit of this goat, my, my yearling, my, 
my oldest, the best one, amen? I'm going to bring the fat portion out of that one, and I'm going to bring that to the God, amen? Now, this is all free will offering. This isn't, the law hadn't even been established. So the idea that Cain thought, that Cain didn't think of this, and Abel did think of it, is showing you where their heart is. Because Abel was purposefully established in his heart what he wanted to give, and he gave it joyfully. Amen? How do I know that Cain didn't give it joyfully? Because of his countenance. As soon as God looked at Cain's offering and said no, and looked at Abel's offering and said yes, I like that. So the offering really has nothing to do with it, but the offering sure can tell you where those people's heart were. Amen? Where Cain's heart was. Which is why God was like, hey, if you do good, I don't want to get ahead of myself. <laughs> Abel's blood speaks, uh, Hebrews 11.4 speaks of Abel's offering being done in faith. Which made it more acceptable. It wasn't the gift that made it acceptable. It was the faith behind the act. Okay? Cain did not give his in faith. I don't know the motives for why Cain was doing it, but it was obvious that he did not do it with the right heart. Amen? That's why we have the admonishment in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to give as we purpose in our heart. Because God doesn't want something from you that you don't want to give. Period. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to go, here, take He doesn't want that. He wants you to give because you want to give. He wants you to give because that's what you desire to honor God. You desire to show God your loving and your, your admonition and your worship, which is what offerings were. They were worship. They were part of worshiping God. Amen? Even, in, even when the law came about, everybody goes, oh, that was just works-based salvation. It was, but it was their form of worship. If they wanted to show that they were worshiping God, they did those things. Amen? This reminds me of a verse. If those who don't have the law do the things required by the law, by faith, amen? And when we're talking about Abel, we're talking about somebody that did not have the law, but had faith and operated in faith, which is why he's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He's written there for a reason, because his faith made his offering more acceptable. And the fact that he was righteous is the whole reason his blood cried out of the ground to God. Because it was unjust. Amen? Now, <clears throat> Hebrews 11.4 speaks of Abel's offering being done in faith, which made it more acceptable than Cain's offering. Cain's heart was wrong, and his motives were wrong. And you can see it in how Cain reacts. He says, oh, his countenance fell. He got raw. He was, so, most of the time, if you ever seen anybody raw, you'll know it, okay? They're screaming, yelling mad, okay? You can see this in the story. Because although God comes and asks Cain a bunch of questions, as soon as God's done talking to Cain, Cain, it says, goes and talks to Abel. Doesn't tell you what he said. It says he went and talked to him. He probably, it probably sounded a lot like this. Oh, you just a big God butt kisser, ain't you? Bring the best offering. Oh, I'm going to show you. Oh, God likes you better than me. Blah, blah, I can hear it right now. It says it. It makes a point to tell you that Cain went to talk to Abel. Go back to Genesis chapter 4, I'll show you. <clears throat> Verse 8. This is right after God gets done talking to him. And he says, Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And then they went to the field, right? It probably went like this. Hey, 
won't you tell me how you done that where God would accept my offering? Come here in the field and show me what I'm supposed to do right. Probably tricked him to get out there. Get him alone. Get him by himself. Hard thought, ain't it? Let's go back to verse 6. We're going to talk about God's questions of Cain. First thing God says, he says, why are you angry? Or in the King James language, why are you wroth? Why art thou wroth? Why are you so mad, Cain? What's wrong? Why are you so mad? And then he says, why has your countenance fallen? Why is your face fallen? That's the second question. And then he asks him a third question. If you do well, will you not be accepted? So God asks him three questions. Now, let me ask you a question. And this is pretty rhetorical also. But is God asking these questions because God doesn't know the answer? No. So why is God asking the question? He's asking the question the same reason that you ask your five-year-old who has done something wrong or is thinking about doing something wrong and you're trying to question them to get them to see that they shouldn't do what they're about to do. God is asking these questions to get Cain's mind engaged instead of his emotions. Because right now Cain is wroth. His countenance has fallen. That means his brain is unengaged. That's what happens when people get so mad. People get so mad they can't even think straight. People get so angry, so hurt that they can't even think about what they're doing. That's, what, that's what's about to happen to Cain. And God's trying to ask him some questions to jar his mind into thinking right. Why are you angry, Cain? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And then after God asks him those three questions, God warns him. He asks him those three questions. And then he says, right after he says, and if you do, uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That's the third question. And then he asked, a, he kind of makes a statement to try to warn Cain. He says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. You must. He's warning him. He asked him three questions to try to jar his mind. And then he makes a warning statement. Said, if you don't do good, Cain, something very bad is crouching at the door right now. Do you think God already knew? Obviously, right? God knows everything. We can't. That's a rhetorical question, too. God knew what Cain was fixing to do. But he's trying to get Cain, just like us. There's a reason God's asking these questions, and I'm going to get to it as soon as we see what Cain does, okay? He says, if you, do, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's Cain's heart that's the problem. It's his motives that are wrong. God is saying, if your motives were pure, you'd be accepted. But if and since they are not, sin is crouching crouching at the door to overtake you. God knows us. And God knows those things that tempt us. God knew the moment he accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's because God knows us. Amen? Now people go, well, why didn't God stop it? Only God knows. I do know this. It's not God's fault. Amen. Go with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Here we're going to read some scripture that is very relevant to what we just read. If you don't know where James is, it's right after Hebrews. God's favorite copy. <laughs> Oh, I still like that joke, even though nobody else does. James 1, verse 13. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And this is what God knew was in humanity since Adam ate the fruit. He knew that the desires of man were becoming more and more and more and more wicked. And we see a climax of this wickedness in Genesis 6 when God decides to kill every person on earth except eight people. The words of Genesis 6 where God says, and God saw the wickedness of man increase upon the face of the whole earth that every thought of every minute of the man's heart was continually wicked, always. That's Genesis 6. We see it here. And God was trying to warn Cain, look, if you do good, if you have the right motives, if your heart is really right, you'll do good and you'll be accepted. But since I know that you're not, and I know that your motives are wrong, sin is crouching at the door for you. One more New Testament verse. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. What's this common temptation? You see, my friends, that human beings have inherited a nature that is prone to temptation since the fall. It's in us. We just read in James where no one can say God is tempting us because we're all tempted by our own desires and led astray by those. Amen? Why? Because we're born with a sin nature. Amen? Now this verse, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now watch this. This verse is absolutely true. In this story because God comes to Cain and asks him three questions to try to jar him out of his line of thought that he was going to do with the, the, the actions that he was going to do and God is trying to give him a way of escape God saying hey if you do good won't you be accepted but if you don't do good sin is crouching at the door he's telling him there's a way out of this Cain and what you're fixing to do is not the answer. You need to do right. He's telling him. Verse 8, Cain waits. Cain waits until no human witnesses around and waited to get Abel alone in the field. Now I want you to go back with me and you don't have to go there. I'm going to go read it for you. I want you to think about this verse while we're reading this text. James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin gives birth to death. And we're watching this unfold in front of our face. God is telling Cain, there is a desire in you that is not right. There's a thing in you right now. Sin has already established itself in you. It's crouching at your door. He says, desire brings forth sin and sin brings forth death. And we watch the very first human being get killed. And we watch the very process that Paul spells out or James spells out. We see it. Cain is wroth with God. A desire inside of him starts to form. God warns him, gives him a way of escape. But Cain 
not detour because sin has already taken root. And sin, when it's fully accomplished, brought forth death. He got Abel out in that field all by himself where mom and dad couldn't see him, where he thought God couldn't see him, and he killed his brother. Verse 8. Go back. Oh, verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, we saw the grace of God already in verse, what, 6 and 7, right? We saw God trying to talk Cain out of it, right? The very first thing that happens after Cain kills Abel is the same thing that happens after man and woman ate the fruit. God comes to find out what happened. Now, is God looking for an answer? No. God is not looking for an answer. He already knows what happened, right? Did he really go into the garden and go, where you at, Adam? No, he knew where Adam was. Nothing is hidden from God. Not one thing. You can't hide behind a tree from God any more than you can hide in the middle of the earth from God. David said, if I go into hell, behold, you're there. If I make my abode in the heavens, behold, you're there. Where can I go to escape you? I can't. So Adam wasn't escaping God. And what happened in that field did not escape God's view, God's vision, God's knowing. Amen? But here comes God again, showing grace to a creature that has just sinned against him. God came to Cain just like he did before he sinned. And again, he comes after Cain has committed this act. And he asks him a question. Where's your brother, Abel? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The question should have been rhetorical because the answer is yes you are your brother's keeper amen if any christian in the new testament tries to pull that same stuff i don't know they're not my problem it's not my responsibility yes it is you should be worried about your brother and sister who are not walking with the lord you should care it should bother you it should make you worried it should make you lose sleep at night it should make you get on your knees and pray and seek god and and implore God to save them. Amen. We are our brother's keeper. Yes, we are. Amen. Matter of fact, most brothers, you don't even have to tell that to because they're going to be looking out for each other. Just saying. I got a twin brother. Outside of my wife, it's the closest person to me on the planet. Period. Ain't anything I wouldn't do for my brother. <laughs> so when I see this brother have his heart like this, sin had taken full hold. Amen. Now watch this. <coughs> Cain shows no sign of remorse. Cain shows no attitude of repentance. For what he did. Not one ounce. His short reply to God. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Full well gives you an idea. Of how bad Cain's heart was. The fact that. He was so wroth about the offering. Wouldn't have made sense to me. The, the fact that he killed his brother. Doesn't make sense to me. And the fact that he can't even look at God. And go. Oh, God of the universe. This is not, he's not just talking to some other dude. He's talking to God. And he still has no concept of remorse or repentance for what he did. That shows you that sin not only brought the death of Abel, but it was bringing the death to man that God promised Adam. And death was sinking in. Spiritual death was becoming very real. Amen. Depravity. 
doctrine of total depravity that we understand to be scriptural. Depravity is taking hold of Cain right now. We can see it. The depravity of the fall is becoming evident in man and in Cain as a fallen man. His heart is cold and remorseless and his nature, what's going on inside of him, his actual nature is being revealed. And even in all this, God still asks another question. Amen? God again questions Cain, not because God was seeking answers to these questions, but rather to show Cain his sin, that it might bring light to his eyes. God is asking these questions to get Cain to go, woe is me, I'm, an, I'm, I'm undone, I'm a... I'm a sinful, dreadful person. I've taken the life of my brother. Amen? Now, God knew Cain wasn't going to say that, right? But it still didn't stop God from asking the questions. Amen? What did God say to him? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. From the ground. God then tells Cain his brother's blood is crying out from his crying out to him from the ground. And that brings the question: why is Cain or why is Abel's blood crying out from the ground? Genesis 9. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. Because this is going to give you an explanation and it's going to set into understanding how God values his work of humanity. Amen? Somebody say amen. Amen. Verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1, excuse me. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be for you for food. And as I gave you the trees or as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat of flesh with its life in it. Its blood. That is its blood, excuse me. And for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, I will require it. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. A couple things I take out of this in understanding why Cain's blood was crying out of, or why Abel's blood was crying out of the ground. Abel's blood is crying out of the ground because Abel was made in the image of God. And although God had not said this yet, this is obviously God's expectation that man's blood is important because man was made in the image of God. So what's crying up out of the ground is not just injustice, which can be rightly applied from that. Amen. Abel was righteous and his blood brother Cain was evil and Cain killed righteous Abel. Isn't that what Hebrews said? Right? So Cain kills righteous Abel. And we think immediately Cain's blood is crying out because of injustice. Because of an injustice done to him. Which is right. I'm not saying that is wrong. What I'm saying is with in the text of Genesis, we see that God requires 
blood even from an animal. If an animal killed man, you're supposed to kill that animal because that animal took the life of someone that bore the image and the likeness of God. Amen? So what we see in Genesis where we left off here at verse 10, and I'm not going to, we're not, we're not going to read any more tonight. <laughs> but what I'm seeing here is the fulfillment of God's promise of death. Death has entered into the human experience now. Although God had already told Adam and Eve, you're not going to live forever. I'm taking you, I'm putting you out of the garden so you can't take from the tree of life, right? Now we see death enter because of sin. Sin was crouching at Cain's door and Cain did not overtake it. Cain did not take the way of escape. Cain was overcome by evil. And, and when sin had bore fruit, it brought death. The death of Abel. Amen? Where we're going with this whole narrative is the understanding that the fall of man in Genesis 3 has dramatic, lasting impact that started with the very next generation of human beings. The very next generation, right after Adam and Eve, the very next person was so wicked that he killed his own brother. Depravity stuck in right there. Human experience was steeped in sin. Cain was just like David, born and shapen in iniquity. There's no other way to explain it other than the fall of man produced death. Amen? So in reading that, and in reading the rest of Genesis for that matter, we're going to see over and over man exhibiting all of these same behaviors. Amen? The story of the Bible is the story of redemption. Amen? It's not just a bunch of good stories put together so we can learn a bunch of moral truth. It is that. It is for that. We can do that with it. But the overarching story of the Bible, it starts in Genesis 3 at the fall and it ends with Christ and his victory over sin and death and delivering us from the bondage of sin and death. The whole story of the Bible is leading that direction. And the beginning of this road of redemption starts right here. Chapter 3, chapter 4. Amen? We can see it over and over and over. Amen? Let's stand. We'll pray. <clears throat>